It's not too often you have a friend who's been targeted for assassination by Abu Nidal. But I have one, and he's on the program today. This is Paul Lewis Cole. Welcome to Brave Men. I'm with Chris Shields, our producer. And uh, today we have Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North on the program. And uh, only friend I have who's ever been targeted for assassination by Abu Nidal. That's an amazing thing. He is a, uh, he's a Marine veteran. He, uh, he's, he's won all kinds of awards. He yeah. was in the center of uh, the Iran-Contra controversy back when Reagan was president. Ronald Reagan actually said about him this. He said he is a true American hero. Yes. And he's an amazing man. I mean, you probably didn't know much about him until I started introducing you to him, right? Exactly. You'd seen him on TV and stuff, and he's had TV shows for years. And, uh, of course, he had that uh, that show called War Stories yes. on Fox. But uh, to know his background, to know what he was like. No, it took on a whole nother level. Crazy, huh? Yeah, when you started introducing me to yeah. him. Yeah, and you then know. how deep the man is. Exactly. And, but also a big thing that stands out to me is the humility he walks in. Yeah, because he's like, he's world famous. Yes. And then he was one of the nicest guys you ever had to work with. Exactly. With Yes, with yeah, booking just, people, one of the smoothest, yes. yeah. nicest people. Oh, we'll yeah. do anything. Whatever you guys yeah. would like us to what, do. What do you need? Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're here time? to serve okay. you guys. Sure. Wait, what? We're, yeah. You're here to serve and, us. Um, yeah, and, and it was really kind of fun because it was his grandson. I think it was one of his grandkids that kind of help make sure he was on the interview. Exactly. Because we did it on Zoom. Yes. And he's like, um, and his, you see his grandson leader going, right there. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> you know, that's his real life. And yes. he was taking his grandkids. What were they doing? Uh, the day that I did the interview with him, he was about to take them out, and they were going to put in fence posts. Wow. You know. That's and then so in funny. the middle of this interview, he did a really, uh, he did a joke, and it's a little crude what? But yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought it was hilarious, though. You know, he led me right into it. I'm like, okay. And then, bam, he, and it's, it's, it's awesome. And, uh, but this guy's amazing, this decorated U.S. Marine, uh, best-selling author. I've been reading uh, one of his books, and it's uh, about the Revolutionary War. Uh, Freedom Alliance, Hero College Scholarships for Children of Service Members Killed or Permanently Disabled in the Line of Duty. Uh, this man's done it all. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm so thrilled to, to have a friend like this. And here's the key thing. Okay, here's the background. Okay. Years ago, when, he, when the Iran-Contra thing happened, he was, he was a lieutenant colonel in the Marines. Yeah. He was, he was on the task force in order to do certain things in Central America and so forth and so on, and Middle East, and et cetera. And it came up to be a big congressional hearing. He got called in. He was the star witness. He was the middle of it. Yeah. And uh, the thought was, we're going to bring down Reagan's pre presidency based on this guy. It turned out he was stalwart. As this thing started, I happened to have an office in Washington, D.C., in my business that um, I was running at the time that we had for many years in advertising and uh, public relations and things like that. So I got in touch with them, and, or they got in touch with me in our office. And, and one day as we were headed into a, a meeting, I thought, you know what? He needs to read Maximize Manhood. Wow. So I handed it to Dwayne, who was the, working directly with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North. And I said, here, uh, I think he needs to read this. He said, I'll give it to him this afternoon. So he gave it to him that afternoon. The hearing started two weeks later, very intense, public scrutiny all over the world is looking at it. And um, I didn't know what happened with that until later. About a year later, I was in, we were in Atlanta, and I had him come in and speak at a thing. And uh, no, excuse me, about two years later, and I introduced him to my father, wow. Dr. Cole, Ed Cole, who wrote Maximize Manhood. And I said, um, Colonel North is my father, Dr. Ed Cole. I said, Dad, this is Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North. And, of course, he knew who he was. But Colonel North looked at my dad and said, Ed, thank you for writing Maximize Manhood. Now, I hadn't known what had happened with it. He reaches in his brief briefcase, Chris, pulls out a Maximize Manhood. It was a smaller book then. It was a little blue, smaller book. Pulls it out. He said, I read this every single day during the Iran-Contra hearings, and this has helped shape my life Amazing. as a man. And he opened it up, and I looked at it, and he, he, the whole thing was all marked up. What color was it marked up? Well, in? that's the point. You, you've heard me tell this. <laughs> That, I didn't want to say anything, but it was marked up in pink marker highlighter. I go, dude, this 
guy can't be using <laughs> highlighter. <laughs> but uh, but the fact is, maximize manhood. And he told me this off uh, off interview when we were chatting about different things ahead of time, recalling some of those things, talking about some of the issues the nation's going through today. Yeah. And he said, you know, Paul, he said, your dad's book. And this is uh, 30 years later, 30, whatever it is. And he said, uh, that really did. He said, I was serious when I told your dad this helped shape my life. Because he said, I look back at the principles. He said, this has shaped my life as a man. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it is amazing. And me being 26, Mm -hmm. I I look at his life and all the accomplishments that he's done. And it's like, man, God, if I could do half of what this man does and still walk in the level of humility Mm. he walks in, man. And, and, you know, and that's what Brave Men is about. It's about being a stalwart man. It's about being resilient. It's about, you know, we all get knocked down, but but the brave man gets back up. Exactly. Never quit. Never quit, man. And that's the thing. And, and so, uh, and you've read Maximize Manhood. That's why when we talk about these resources and these tools CM, at cmn.men, we're not talking about, hey, just read a book. We're talking about how to expand and change your life, how to increase your capacity, how to uh, rewire your thinking so that you're thinking with the mindset of Christ. How do you actually walk into the chaos of this world and come out a conqueror on the other side? Go to the next level. Yeah, how do you That's do that? That's the biggest thing. Yeah, how do you do that? And and you do that by the people you're with. Exactly. Right? Your mm-hmm. closest friends, those guys. Exactly. Those guys help shape your life. The Word of God shapes your life. And then the, the books you read shape your life. Exactly. It's iron sharpens iron. So, so when we talk about these books... We talk about all these tools and materials we have, and we just have so much. It's hard to talk about everything from Achieve Lab to events uh, to the Monday Night Men on YouTube. Yep. You know, every Monday night we're, we're on with a different book. We've done Strong Men in Tough Times, Never Quit, and we go through these things and all the different things we do, yeah. right? Working mm-hmm. with the NFL, all these things on fatherhood, all this different stuff. It's hard to talk about how much is there, but it's huge. It is. Right. And the biggest thing, too, is the reality. We're not just doing things. We have walking examples. Bam. Walking the yeah. earth in yeah. levels of influence walking that have committed yeah. to yeah. applying these things to their yeah. lives. Lives have changed. Yeah, we're in a fight. We're in a war. And Jesus didn't come to write a best-selling book. He came to win a war. Exactly. That's why Jesus came. So I want you to hear this uh, with Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North. This is one of the greatest men I've ever met in my life. He's here on Brave Men in order to enlarge us, make us stronger, and become the man that we desire to be and the man the world needs us to be. Here's Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North on Brave Men. It's Brave Men with Paul Lewis Cole. Wisdom and courage for the journey. I'm in a conversation with Colonel Oliver North, and many of us would know him uh, as a as a war correspondent with Fox. Many of us know him from his uh, uh, television shows, uh, and and then uh, and then some of us would probably still remember him as Iran Contra and all of that. Yeah. It's amazing how you walked into those different areas of your life, in a sense, Colonel North, having been prepared. It's, it's as if you, you know, we, one of the things we talk about at Christian Men's Network is a man doesn't rise to the occasion. He rises or falls to the level of his preparation. Yeah. And, and I've watched you over and over and watched you closely, particularly back in the 80s. Uh, and then with the, the television, uh, watched your life. And it's fascinating to me the different aspects of your life. But, but uh, what a lot of people don't remember even prior to that is it you won Purple Heart, uh, Bronze Star. And one thing I learned from my friends, Colonel North, is I, I mentioned a friend of mine. His name's Hugh. I mentioned him to a friend. I said, you know, Hugh used to be a Marine. And he hit me in the arm. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. He hit me. <laughs> used to. <laughs> yeah. He goes, uh-uh. I'm a Marine. True. Once a yeah. Marine, always a Marine. Exactly. But you you were in combat, and you were 21 years active duty. Is that correct? 22, yeah. 22 years. And so uh, so there's there's these periods of your life in which it, it seems like you were ready for that season. How does a man get ready for the different seasons in his life? 
Well, good question. Um, first of all, I didn't start out that way. I, I was raised Roman Catholic. We went to church every Sunday. And my brothers and I were all altar boys. Uh, but we're going to church is not knowing Jesus Christ. Mm. Uh, I went off to the war. I, I, look, my mom and dad met at a USO dance in 1941. Really? They were married in 1942. 1943, I was born in Texas, San Antonio. Uh, my dad was already gone to England getting ready for Normandy. Wow. And uh, as an infantry officer. And uh, so the fir first year and a half of my life, I didn't even know I had a dad. Didn't even know you were supposed to have a dad. Yeah. And when he came home, he was a, he was a very, very tough, fair, hard-nosed guy. Uh, Mom was something else. I never heard my mother say, that I can recall anyway, I can never recall my mother ever saying, you wait till your father gets home. You know, when you've done something that you know yeah. you should have done, right? Because she was, she was, he was, a, I never heard my dad utter a four-letter word. Wow. Uh, and died young. Uh, he was only 67. Yeah. And, and, and in many cases, because he got so badly shot up. Mm. So I was raised in a way that understood, okay, you're supposed to go to church. But that personal relationship with Jesus Christ wasn't there. You were, you were raised with a standard of morality. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But not, yeah. a, but not a, a deep relationship with Christ. No, not yeah. at all. And so uh, I came back to the second overseas tour in, in the war zone. Uh, was hurt a, a, a couple of times pretty badly. Uh, and Betsy and I, by 1975... So when you take the talk war zone, you're talking Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Of which, you know, there were, there were actually about three million Americans that actually saw combat in that hmm. war. Wow. Uh, it was a different war than my dad was in. It was different yeah. in Korea. Uh, all of my, all, all the males that I knew, that I grew up around, were veterans of either World War II, Korea, or both. Uh, all of my uncles served in, in the military and in combat. Hmm. And so that, that generation, I think, was accurately described as the greatest generation. It was a great influence on me and my brothers. And I look now at, at that experience and say, that was great, but it wasn't the kind of personal relationship. So by 1975, yeah. I'm coming back from my second long overseas tour, and Betsy's decided, you know, you love the Marine Corps more than you love me. I want a divorce. Wow. And I'd extended my tour because at the end, of, you know, we're over there, the end of the war is, is fast approaching. And our unit was one of the ones that got sent into Mayaguez, lost a lot of Marines. Long and short of it, I extended my tour, and thankfully the battalion commander said, no, you're going to go home. Hmm. And so I, was, I went home and moved into the bachelor officer's quarters at Quantico, Virginia, uh, our home that we built uh, right outside the base uh, was going to be hers. We were talking wow. to each other through lawyers. Wow. And my former battalion commander from my first tour overseas and I was a second lieutenant named Dick Schultz, was at the dispensary. I was peeing blood. Mm. Now, I, divorce was not going to marry me, bother me, because if the Marine Corps wanted me to be married, they'd have issued me a wife. And yeah. My wife's, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I went to the dispensary because I was peeing blood. And Dick Schultz saw me. He was there getting his – there are no coincidences in my life. Yeah. Right? But just by coincidence – Dick Schultz was there getting his physical to become promoted to a brigadier general. And he looked at me and he said, Blue, which was my nickname. The, the reason for that nickname is the we didn't have encrypted radios like we've got nowadays, right? Right. So we call each other. If you want to move somebody to move north, you moved in the blue direction. If you want him to go south, you moved in the gray direction. You went east, it was silver. West was gold. Wow. We kept the same code for 10 years. We wondered why the bad guys were found... Right. We, we each, yeah. Okay. So he said, Blue, you look like crap. I want you to oh, come on in here. And so the doc looked at me and he said, well, you're going through an enormous amount of stress. He said, Schultz said to me, I want you to go see the chaplain here at the base at Quantico. He helped Sally and me, his wife, Sally, save our marriage. Wow. So I, I acknowledged what was going on. And so you know, no Marine or infantry officer wants to go to a counselor. No. Particularly a chaplain because everybody's going to know about it, right? Yeah. So I go to the chaplain's office 
on a Friday afternoon at four o'clock because I want to be the last guy, make the appointment. I show up, Betsy doesn't. And I'm standing there waiting and I can hear the fuzzy wuzzy stuff going on behind the door. This is at the chapel at Quantico. And I'm waiting, looking around for some, and there's a book that has to be good for Marines. The title on the book was Dare to Discipline. Wow. By a fellow named Dobson, who I'd never yeah. heard of. Okay. And I take the book, I, this is serious, Paul, and open the book. And there in, in Dobson's book is the description of the locket that he was going to give their daughter when yeah. she turned 21. And we had two kids at the time, our daughter's oldest and then our son. And I realized if we, if we go through this divorce, there won't be a locket for our I'll daughter. never do that. Yeah. Right. And it just hit me. And so the end result was after months of counseling, we got back together. Wow. And I began starting with a very small little Bible study started by Officers Christian Fellowship that we then took with us to Newport, Rhode Island. We took it back to, down to Camp Lejeune. And, and it, it's a family Bible study. And I came to know Jesus Christ because of that. And wow. it's a very good thing that happened because in 1981, I got sent to the White House. Yeah. Uh, and and, and that's, that's a tough environment. And you were counterterrorism coordinator for the National Security Council. Yep. Yep. Right. Uh, another fascinating thing, and I didn't know this because I was around during all of that. And uh, what I didn't know is that you actually were targeted. You, you had a contract put out on you for assassination by Abu Nidal. Right. Islamic Jihad. A fatwa. Yeah. A fatwa. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is that's, not a, that's not a little lightweight thing. You just don't go, okay, well, whatever. No. Well, uh, I was actually on a trip with the Commandant of the Marine Corps. Uh, I'd left the White House by then. February 11th, 1987, the organization called the People's Committee for Libyan Students. It was a front organization for the Abu Nidal Islamic wow. They sent six of the guys to our house to kill me and, and Betsy and our kids. Wow. And so the FBI warned us. Uh, I knew about the mission because we all that was approved by the committee that I ran as a major and then a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps from the White House. And I just gotten back. The FBI had already notified Betsy, sent a couple of suburbans out there to pick him up in the middle of the night. And about two o'clock in the morning, uh, the FBI arrested all six of them. Wow. Brought him in front of the U.S. attorney in Arlington or Alexandria, Virginia. And Henry Hudson was his name. And he's got him lined up there, six guys. It's now four in the morning. And they called in a federal judge. And they lined up all the weapons. They had RPGs. You know, this is in Great Falls, Virginia. We didn't live in the farm at Betsy's farm at the time. So RPGs, AK-47s, hand grenades, rocket-propelled grenades, mm. an RPD machine gun, Makarov pistols, all of which they'd gotten out of a self-storage unit, and all of which were, you know, came in diplomatic pouches out of Libya. This is in the aftermath of our wow. attack on death. And at the end of the day, the judge says, what, what can I hold him on? Hudson says, Your Honor, we can hold him on a Title X violation, attempted assassination of a U.S. government officer. It's a very specific paragraph in the law. Yeah. Or, and the weapons charge. And he says, well, who's the officer? Who's the government officer? He said, it's a technical, which is a term used in, in those kinds of cases where you've got top secret information. The technical, right. this was the surveillance that we had on these guys. And the judge says, Mr. Hudson, we're not going to hold a private, a, a secret trial at four o'clock in the morning. What's the maximum I can hold these guys on the weapons charge? Well, $500,000, Your Honor. He says, Mr. Hudson, who's going to come up with $3 million between now and nine o'clock in the morning? And he said, these guys. And yeah. they did. The Libyan government was, at the time was represented by Yugoslavia. All six guys were out of jail by eight o'clock. And we ended up living with 37 federal agents that protected us until I retired from the Marines. My so, goodness. Yeah. For the, there's a lot of pictures in my first book about those guys who I have enormous admiration for. They're Naval Intelligence Protective Security Details, same as the Commandant of the Marine Corps, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the Secretary of the Navy. Wow. Same, same guys. And unfortunately, they did. And our Bible study continued to meet at our house. It was on Thursday nights again in those days. And they would come in every day and have to show their ID every time they showed yeah. up at a house. They actually put a double wide trailer out in their yard 
to uh, protect us. And of course, in the hearings later that year, uh, and this is even before the uh, what was what ended up being called the Iran Contra hearing. Right. Yep. Uh, so I pull up. I pull up to the gate, and Brendan Sullivan, my dear friend and my lawyer, the guy who sat next to me during the hearings that summer, yeah, brilliant, constantly say, "Hey, hey, look, don't run over any of them," because they'd line up across the driveway to get out the gate, the now infamous gate, and don't hit any of them. And I would do things like, you know, a bit of a smart ass. Colonel, have you read this morning's headlines in the Washington Post? And the headlines would say, Oliver North stole Nancy Reagan's shoes to feed the Contras, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, something, yeah. All this, you know, baloney. And so... They never quit. Oh, no, they never did. The same no, they, kind of headlines. They were there every single day for nine months. Wow. Every Christmas, Easter, Passover, Lent, Tet. It didn't matter what the religious holiday, they were there 24-7. And so I'd pull up and... Hill up the newspaper. See, have you read this headline this morning? I said, you know, guys, it's an old Kyle Thomas line. You know, guys, I read two things every morning. I read that newspaper and hold up and this book. So I know what both sides are up to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kyle answer. Thomas. Oh, yeah. yeah what a genius. You know, so, so here you've got this background. The Iran-Contra, for those who, who don't know, was, was basically uh, you were working with President Reagan. Yeah. And, and in fact, you know, I was actually down there as a reporter in the middle of that whole Sandinista thing. I, I actually went to Borges' house. Oh, Tomas Borges, Minister yeah. of the Interior. I yeah. went to his house in, in the back of some of, um, they, they had some cars that, in fact, they had taken the house from Somoza. Sure. And uh, I was in the back of, there were a couple of Cadillacs, and there were these kids with these AK-47s hanging, I mean, kids. With AK-47s yeah. hanging out the windows. And it's a fascinating story, you know, the whole piece. And, and, and if you will, the, the whole thing was um, you guys were helping uh, basically try to keep the communists from taking over Nicaragua. And the rest of the country. And the rest, and the rest of the rest hemisphere. Of the their motto was a revolution without frontiers. That right. Was their motto. So, and of course, the end, of, the end result of all that is, is uh, Ortega becomes one of the wealthiest men in Central America. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's kind of the way those things go, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, Che Guevara was probably a real revolutionary. Yeah. But the Castro brothers weren't. No. I mean, nonetheless, they take over. Che Guevara gets whacked. And that is the pattern of almost every dictatorship in the world. It's fascinating. The, the Ayatollahs who are running the country are the only rich people left in Iran. Yeah. And it's, and it's that pattern that's gone on ever since the, I guess, the Soviet revolution of 1917. Well, that pattern's gone on since Haman, it's pattern's gone on since Nebuchadnezzar. It's, it's, uh, it's Proverbs talks about it over and over and over that, that the lust of a, of a man's heart will actually lead him towards wanting everything for himself. Right. And so if you're not, if your heart hasn't been regenerated by Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are of that ilk, if you will. Sure. Even though there's some very good people we know that keep moral absolutes. But, but you, now a lot of people would also know you from television, and now you've started a whole new uh, series. Oh, and you've got this incredible book. I want to mention this, The Rifleman. So, and I want to talk about some other stuff. Sure. But this thing I got into, and I mentioned to you just before we started, because um, I got, uh, you, you, I knew, you, you know, uh, military, um, if you're on time, you're late. <laughs> so I knew you were going to be five minutes early on this Zoom call. And I, and I made sure that I was going to be here ready. I'll be there because he'll be early. And I got into the book and I'm reading. Uh, I hadn't read the preface. So I went back and I'm reading that about the stuff that was dropped off. I hadn't read it in depth and skimmed it. And I thought, and all of a sudden I found myself, I'm about four minutes over time. <laughs> Because it's a fascinating book. Well, you're and, uh, So I want to recommend this. And, and they can find this at olivernorth.com. I think blue.com would have been interesting. Uh, I never knew <laughs> it that. Was taken. It was taken. Yeah, olivernorth.com. Uh, but the Rifleman, of course, uh, Barnes & Noble and Amazon and all those places. So fantastic that's, book. Now, you've written a that. series of books. No, but you've also, you also did that, the uh, War Stories. 
you know, uh, amazing series. And now you've got a whole new series. Is that right? Yep. Uh, Real American Heroes. Tell me well, about that, and what's the, and then I want to come back to some of the previous stuff. Well, Paul, look at uh, I've spent my life, all of it, in the company of heroes. Mm. Uh, heroes exist. Uh, of course, heroes are all over this book. I mean, the ultimate hero is, of course, the hung on a cross, and we just two weeks ago celebrated yeah. uh, Easter and his resurrection. Yeah. But uh, I I enjoy the company of heroes. Mm. I, I served with heroes in the war myself. I covered heroes for 66 embeds overseas during this long war, working for Fox. And one of the things that upsets me is to see, quite frankly, and I'm not aiming this at anybody specific, but as a general pattern, what's happened to men in America is too many of them have become very selfish, Mm. not selfless. The heroes... I mean, the ultimate act of selflessness is to be hung on a cross, tortured to death. I mean, it's, this is not just be, being beheaded like a guillotine. And forgive those this, who did it. Horrible. Yeah. And for, exactly. While in the midst of it, right? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And so I, w- I want to be able to instill some of the sense of, of, if you will, enthusiasm or inspiration by heroes by talking about them, by writing about them, and by keeping company with them. And so I, we've started this new series. We've, we're now going into a, a little bit of abeyance because we're now doing it as a podcast because you can't run all over the country re- interviewing these guys. I've got a deal worked out with the Carnegie Medal uh, Heroes Fund wow. in which, we, in which they, they give us the information on additional members of the very exclusive hero club, if you will, from, yeah. from Andrew Carnegie. And so... We're going to go back to that as soon as, but we're not, we've got a podcast. If you go to OliverNorth.com, you can click right down, see the podcast that we're doing, just like yeah, you and then the doing. series is also is on YouTube. Yes, it is. So that's a there's two billion people on YouTube now. So I mean, I, I know I know two of them. Yeah. So it's and it's so it's so it's bigger in that sense than any broadcast outlet. Uh, it's pretty amazing. So I'm excited about seeing that series by getting into it. You can, I think the easiest way for people to access it would be allovernorth.com and then just click on the different links. Right. But if I went to YouTube, what, what would I put into YouTube, Colonel North? Well, if you just click on that link, it takes you directly to all those videos. That okay. Yeah. yeah. So if you, if you go to allovernorth.com and scroll down and you yep. see where it says, and then that far right side of that toolbar, I yeah. don't want to do it now because I'll just, given my computer competence, I will. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't you do that. We <laughs> Stick around for a moment. No, no. As my kids say, you know, dad, dad suffers from two diseases. He has cultural deficit disorder, right, and computer deficit disorder, right? And they both got the same initials. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I actually sort of doubt that. But I, I do think it's fun the way our, our kids do give us a bad time about certain things. But you've got four children. And uh, how many grandchildren? 18. 18, 18 grandchildren. So they span college sophomore all the way down to five, five months. Five months. And you and your wife, Betsy, have celebrated now uh, just over 50 years of marriage. 51. We celebrated 51 in November. 51. Yeah. It's amazing. We're just yeah. a few years behind you, but I can't say anything. My wife told me this. She said... <laughs> When we, when we hit 50, then you can tell people. She says, but until then, they just add up the numbers, and I don't want them to add anything up. Well, you know, one of our kids was out at the farm on, over the weekend, and, and you know, they've, they've chided me a good bit. Mom, how did you do it? How did you make 51 years with this guy? Her answer, her answer was, well, he was gone for half of it. So we've really only been going for 25 years. So... No, you know, then, you know, that's a that's a good point because I've been I've been gone that much too. Yeah. Well, yeah. in fact, I think if you added it up, I've probably spent more time with Betsy the last two months <laughs> than I have the last twenty years. Seriously, I mean, we, we're with each other twenty four seven. I'm 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 now in my office, but I mean, she's just minutes from me. Yeah. And so, and and being able to watch what's happening in in the world today. We took a walk down by the river. We're right on the Shenandoah River. Yeah. I moved way. I, I married way up. Yeah. Put it that way. And so there, her, calf, her cows are calving. 
Uh, the eagles are nesting in, the, in his hatchlings. You can see yeah. them. The cormorants, which are very rare birds. Cormorants are right there and perched on a log over the river because they're looking for fish because they're fishing birds. Oh, yeah. Right. And so all of that's happening. The fox that Casey chased the yeah. other day. All of those kinds of things because it's springtime. Yeah, it's and, fantastic. And I get so darn frustrated when I see people doing nothing but bad-mouthing one another. Yeah. They're, doing nothing but they're chronically depressed. So I, 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 be inspired. And so I'm using these heroes as an opportunity to inspire people to be better than they otherwise might be. Yeah. So you know, the story about, you know, you said you married up. The, the, there's a joke in Brazil, and we have a, a large, a couple thousand churches using uh, the Maximized Manhood curriculum in Brazil. But the joke there, Colonel North, is uh, a man will look at your, at your phone or, or photo and look at your wife and say, oh, I see you're a man of prayer. And then the tatump is, but I guess your wife is not a woman of prayer. <laughs> because she married you. <laughs> or me. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. So uh, where did you guys meet? Where did you and your wife meet, Colonel? We, we met. <clears throat> my wife graduated from Penn State in 1967. I didn't graduate from the Naval Academy until 68. I'm a year older than she is. But she was a business major. She took over as a retail sales manager in a Hecht Company store mm. in Maryland. Hecht Company used to be a big chain. It's gone now. So like a lot of others. Brick and mortar. Yeah. And my cousin worked for her. And the young woman with whom I had been engaged before, planning to get married right after the Naval Academy, had sent the ring back. And she actually married one of her college professors who so was working on her master's degree. Wow. And, and she sent the ring back. And I decided at that point, if the Marine Corps wanted me to have a wife, they'll issue me one. Right. right. Whole line. And my cousin kept saying, I'm working for this absolutely gorgeous drop dead person. And she's, our, my cousin was going to University of Virginia, uh, University of Maryland, right down the road from where Betsy's going to work. And she convinced me, well, actually, my brother convinced me because my brother was getting ready to go off to the war, my yeah. little brother. And, and our, our cousin was telling about this drop dead gorgeous woman that she works for. And Jack said to me, he said, I'm leaving for the war here in a week. He's in the 82nd Airborne Division with jump boots and all that stuff, yeah. right? And he's all the ranger school. And he's in his uniform. He said, if you're not going to go meet this girl, I will. I said, well, I'll take it. So the two of us drove over to the Montgomery Mall in Maryland. And we're getting on the escalator to go up to where our cousin had said she'd be. And Jack goes like this. He says, I don't know what this Betsy looks like. Anything like that gal with the long legs? Remember, this is 1968. Yeah. 60, right? Okay, so mini skirts were in, in vogue. Yeah. That guy's anything like that one of the long legs up there, that blonde? I'll date her. Well, it was her. And the only thing that saved me was he got sent off to the war, and I stayed for another year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we decided we'd get, we'd get married. Uh, I was a student at our basic course at Quantico. Yeah. Knew I was going to go to the war. Uh, we got married the day gra I graduated from basic course as a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed second lieutenant, butter yeah. bars, development of Marines. And we started a month-long honeymoon driving a Marine colonel's car from Washington, D.C. out to California, San Diego. Really? In those days, you post on the building, needed, car will pay for gas and, and, and hotel rooms and the like. Yeah. And so he gave us, I think it was $500. Yeah, it's 1968. We start driving. In those days, we didn't have these cell phone things. We didn't have yeah. these, right? So you had to leave a leave address. And it was my dad, retired U.S. Army colonel. And so I called home from Texas. We were 13 days into our honeymoon. And dad said, I'm terribly sorry to tell you this, but I got a telegram for you. You have to be in San Diego in 72 hours. Wow. So the two of us on our honeymoon, team drove all the way across the rest of America. She put me on a plane. I think it was the day before Thanksgiving. We celebrated, I celebrated Thanksgiving in Vietnam. And yeah. she got on a flight and came back home. So if you will, that was prescient for the rest of your lives. The fact that you had to hurry to get to a flight. Yeah. Well, we, we at least had, we, we, we did have four kids. And, and she raised them right. Yeah, she raised them the, the the way that they needed to be raised. She did the all you know. You carry a baby for nine months, you know. And I I didn't think much about that at the time. 
as a, as a consequence of all that counseling that we had, I came to have enormous admiration for her mm. and was surrounded by Christian friends who led me on the path. Yeah. Uh, I, I've said in the presence of the guy who was the greatest influence in my spiritual life, John Grinnells, Lieutenant Colonel of the United States Marine Corps at the time. I was at headquarters Marine Corps. And John Grinnells was a road graduate of West Point, not Annapolis, uh, Rhodes Scholar, White House Fellow, MBA from Harvard. And I used to catch him periodically because he and I were assigned to each other, to a special branch at headquarters mm -hmm. Marine Corps. It was a partition separated the two of us. And I could look over and I would catch him on government time reading from this reading book. the Bible. Right. Right. And he'd finished whatever work he had to do at that point. And he was taking some, just meditating, reading a few words of the, wow. of the good book. And so when he asked me, he said, I want you to be my operations officer in a deploying battalion. We're going to leave in February. This is, the, our kids were still in school up here. Yeah. And I accepted because I knew he was going to be a general someday. Not because, right. in fact, I was willing to overlook the fact that behind his back, people would call him a Bible thumper. Yeah. But I'll overlook that he's West Point and a Bible thumper. Yeah. <laughs> as we're getting ready. Spoken like a true Marine. Yeah, right. This is Chris. Let me take a moment right in the middle of this great conversation to remind you how to get in touch with Paul and Christian Men's Network and the Global Fatherhood Initiative. You can find all the resources for mentoring and fatherhood at cmn.men. That's cmn.men. Christian Men's Network does special events across America and around the world. You can find all the information at cmn.men. Click on events. We also have tremendous resources for churches and special discounts for groups on that website. Everything a church needs from A to Z to mentor and disciple men of all ages and backgrounds. Now, let's get back to this powerful interview between Paul and Oliver North. So as we're getting ready to deploy, literally the, the day of deployment, on the pier at Moorhead City, North Carolina, five amphibious ships lined up. We're going to head to Europe, become the landing force for the Sixth Fleet. It's a very dangerous mission. We lost 11 Marines on that deployment. Wow. It was our sister battalion that got blown up in Beirut. Yeah. Right? So the 8th Marine Regiment carried the same Marine Expeditionary Unit that rescued Scott O'Grady, also mm -hmm. a believer, by the way. So on the, on the pier, John hands me, instead of a set of orders, it's the entire Marines unit, all 1,800 of us, are lined up on the pier. It's 4 o'clock in the morning because the Marine Corps never goes anywhere in daylight. There's right. all the... All these heavyweights from Washington, D.C. have come down. The division commander's there. And behind the chain link fence are the wives and sweethearts and the kids saying goodbye to their loved ones. They're on the other side. Wave. John Grinnells hands me a copy. It's not this copy. The copy he gave me is in tattered pieces beside my bed. Wow. He says, here, Major, on our way across the Atlantic, read this. You have got to come to know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. Now, nowadays, you could be prosecuted for that. Yeah. You cannot proselytize from a senior to a subordinate. The sergeant can tell the lieutenant that, but the lieutenant can't tell the sergeant. Right. Right. And so on the way across, I started this book. Remember, I went to church when we were kids, right? Right. Didn't go a whole lot. You know, I saw some great chaplains and I saw some bad ones in my days in combat. I started at the beginning, Genesis. I wonder who he is. Mm. And I... As we pulled in into the Mediterranean, it's a 12-day trip. I've gotten, I almost quit at Leviticus. I, uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Okay? So, but as we're pulling in the Mediterranean, I've got to the first of the Gospels. And there is Matthew writing in chapter 8, 5 through 13. He describes something I understand. It's a, it's a Roman infantry officer, a centurion. Yeah in a place called Capernaum, and Jesus is there teaching. And here comes the centurion, who's the martial law in the, on the, in the Galilee, right? Yeah. And, and I've, I've led groups out there now for 20 years. Betsy and I have led them out there. Just, and I, that's my favorite spot. It's not, it's not the, the stuff in Jerusalem that's all built up. It's that spot right there. And now, as you know, because you've led groups out there too, Paul, it, the steps of that synagogue have now been excavated by the archaeologists yeah. out there. 
Well, that was, that was in the, that's where he moved at when he started his ministry. Exactly. Yeah. So, in fact, the reason he moved out there is his cousin John had just been beheaded, right? And he yeah. goes out to Galilee and begins his three years of ministry. Mm. So the Roman army infantry officer is walking down. He says, hey, and of course, everybody's got to be very cautious because you never know, as Josephus writes, Jesus Christ is being watched by the officials of the high priest and by the Romans. Oh, this is terrorist occupation. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly, exactly what, what the Roman occupation was. Yeah. He was, so, in fact, that's, that's why, uh, Luke, you know, Colonel North, I, I mentioned the guys all the time. You were made for a time like this. The season we're in now, because Jesus was born in the middle of terrorist occupation. His dad had to take him for four years to escape to Egypt. Egypt, yeah. And then the Magi started by Daniel, you know, Yep. 800 years before, bring the money for that to happen. Then he goes back to Nazareth to start his own business. God is a strategic God. Well, and there's no, as I say, there's no coincidences. No. This thing ha- this, there's, a, there's a plan. It's not yours or mine. Yeah, we were but made for times like this. I, I'm reading about this, this Roman infantry officer who comes down and says, I got a sick servant at home. Yeah. Would you heal him? And Jesus says, yeah, let's go. He says, no, no, Lord. I'm a person of authority. I can tell people to come and they come. I can tell people to go and they go. I know what authority is. You have the authority without, I'm not worthy. You should come into my, into my yeah. quarters at the top of the hill over, over Capernaum. Yeah. All the Roman observation. And, and, and Jesus says, you're right. Go, it's done as you ask. And we know it's true because every word in this book is true, right? Right. And then Jesus turns to the 12. And it's, it's Matthew and Luke, the same way. Turns to the 12 and he says, greater faith than that, in all Israel, I've not seen. Yeah. Why does he say that? Because, A, Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows the plan. He knows what's going to happen to him. And the Roman infantry officer has just put his life at risk because the penalty, what, what, what is Jesus executed for? The crime of treason. Right. King of the Jews, right? Anybody who consorts, this is Roman law. If you consort yeah. with a traitor, you are subject to the same sanction. And the Roman infantry officer knows that. So this captain of infantry in the Roman army has just put his life at risk for what? He's, in, in the translation I've got, one of the translations, Luke says it's not a servant, it's a slave. So he has yeah. put his life at risk for the benefit of a servant at least, a subordinate for certain, and probably a slave. Yeah. And, and why? Not for a promotion, not for a, not for a pay raise. He did it because he cared more about that servant that he cared about himself. John Grinnells had put his career at risk for me wow. by telling me in the presence of dozens of other people in the middle of the night, here, read this book. You've got wow. to come. So my, my transformation occurs as the USS Austin is sailing across the Straits of Gibraltar into the Mediterranean, and I realize John Grinnells put himself at risk for me, support hmm. put his career at risk. He didn't be executed like the Roman soldier would have been, that the fact that that occurred where it was and when it was changed my life forever. I was 35 wow. years old. And that's how I came to know your dad. Wow. As a consequence of that. Yeah. And, 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 and so I have, I have mistakenly, I have said to some, John Grinnells led me to the Lord. John yeah. heard me say that at a prayer breakfast in Charleston. By the way, I was right about something. He did become a Marine general, retired with two stars, became the headmaster of a boys' school called uh, Woodbury Forest in Virginia, then the president of the Citadel. And John John Grinnells has been an example. It it wouldn't have mattered what John Grinnells said. He acted like, he behaved as a man who knew Jesus. And that's the kind of people you and I need to be around. Yeah, what what did he correct you with? He corrected me by saying, I couldn't lead you to the Lord. You have to make that decision. Yeah. I can show you the path that I took, right? I can show you the path that I took, but you have to make that decision. Yeah. And, 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 and no, now after what, 40 years of studying this book and, 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 and your dad, uh, I, I've concluded, Paul, that, that one, coming to know Jesus Christ is a great thing. Yeah. But, Better, the, better yet, when I get there, I know what's going to happen, right? Could happen on my way home today, get run over by an 18-wheeler. I know, that, I know where I'm going, and I know why I'm going there. 
Yeah. But when I get there, there's going to be a large crowd gathered out in front and say, throw that SOB into hell. He was a, he's killed people. He's done terrible things. He didn't get along with his wife for you know, years. And, and you're going to let him in? And Jesus Christ is going to sit there and say, I would that those who are mine be with me where I am wow. for my greater glory. Wow. See? And so I know his name better yet. He knows mine. Yeah. So that, that courage of him doing that, the courage of the Matthew eight, the centurion. So let me just speak to that quickly. Isaiah, the third chapter says first couple verses, God's correcting Israel again. The first covenant, the, the old Testament, if you will, is a picture of God trying to bring a group of people to a place of maturity which is his desire for every single man. And in this particular setting, Isaiah 3, he's, again, they think they're strong enough on their own. They feel like they can do what they want to do. He says, okay, you think you're all bad? I'm going to take from you, and he, and he describes himself. He says, your support, your bread, and your water, which basically the, the support of the Father, the bread being Jesus, the water, the Holy Spirit. But then he says there's two people, when I take them out of the culture, the culture will begin to tip over. And he says, I'll, and here's the first two people. He says, I will take from you the hero and the warrior. Every great culture, Colonel North, is built on the courage of its, the character of its heroes and the courage of its warriors. The character of its heroes and the courage of its warriors. True of every great culture, true of every great family, and true of every great church. So I thank God that, you know, I've watched you over the years. I watched you in the Iran-Contra hearings. I watched you in different aspects of your life. The courage to stand up and speak with love, not putting people down, not condemnatory, but speak very openly and quite often to your own hurt of your faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, perhaps courage is one of the things that when, you, when we talk about manhood or masculinity in North America or the Western culture right now, perhaps that's one of the things that uh, expedience has, has taken over for courage. Yeah. And men yeah. have, have continued to be immature. That's why when you talk about my dad, when he wrote Maximize Manhood, it was a call to be a courageous man. Well, it had a great influence on me. You know, when you're young, when you're brand new to coming to know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, not just yeah. this, this ancient figure, uh, we're always a little unsteady. I mean, the very first time, this is the only book I've ever read from cover to cover more than once. Yeah. Right? I appreciate you reading this book, but this is even better. And by the way, what, by the way, just not, not, not to parlay this the wrong way. One of the things that most people don't understand because of the misery of our own educational system is these guys weren't deists. These guys weren't just guys who understood providence. Yeah. Every one of them that, that are in this book came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because the setting, right? and I didn't set it up, the setting, I just said it was awesome, but the setting is the Revolutionary War. Yeah. And, and a great you, epidemic called smallpox. Yeah. And yeah. A, a viral epidemic fascinating and uh and you track a man named daniel morgan an actual figure uh through this it is a fascinating book i'm not through with it yet but his, his wife morgan's wife taught him to read and write because he was totally uneducated mm. with, with again this book with yeah okay and they lived together and had two children before they were married which was not uncommon in those days right and it's a pastor that becomes just like uh, my, my good friend Jerry Boykin describes them as the Black Road Regiments. But there were a lot of pastors like uh, Peter uh, Gabriel uh, Muhlenberg and, yeah. and uh, Reverend Thurston, who was big influence on Morgan. All those guys in those days knew exactly who Jesus Christ was. Mm -hmm. They didn't hesitate to pray to him. Every family that lost someone, had a, had a memorial service or a funeral if they could find the bodies and bring them back. Most of the guys who died of, of smallpox on the, I don't want to give away the end of the book, but yeah, don't. They, but, but most of the guys. Spoiler alert, died, hashtag spoiler alert. Never got to see their loved ones again. Yeah. And so when I look at what's going on in our, in our country today and I get, I get these people talking about, I'm so anxious. I'm so, I know the end of the story. You know, the end of the story. Yeah. There's no fear. 
I mean, use common sense. I, I, I when we're required to, I, I wear a mask out there. And yeah. when I go into you know Costco or whatever, I wear blue gloves. Yeah, I'm not. Cra- you know, I may be crazy, but I'm not stupid. Yeah, I, I look at I look at those kinds of things, and I see people in the media going, "Oh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened." It's, I'm so anxious. I'm so concerned. Mm-hmm. Why? Is it all about temporal things? Is it all about mm-hmm. the fact that I mean, one of the things that Betsy and I've been managed to do is um, Alistair, Alistair Begg is on at nine o'clock at night. I'm now home, right? Yeah. We, I don't think we've missed a single one of his sermons. <laughs> well, I look at those things as these are wonderful opportunities. How yeah. many times do you and I meet people who look at obstacles in front of them and they're really opportunities that the good Lord has put in front of them? Yeah, exactly. You know, a great friend of mine said uh, a number of years ago, he said, you know, if, if the road of life you're on has no obstacles, you're on the wrong road. That's exactly right. No much that. Yeah. And you've had your share. You, you mentioned maximized manhood, and the Lord had used that in your life. And if, uh, I rem- I, when you got your first copy, it was actually one I gave to a mutual friend, Dwayne yeah. Ward, and he gave it to you. And it was during those hearings. Yeah. In the 80s. Long hot summer. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how just a little thing can touch somebody. I tell guys now, if you'll just text somebody or just give them a call, there's, you know, brotherhood is so important. I think it's, I think it's the key. I think it's what Jesus modeled more than anything else. Absolutely. Um, in fact, most of his miracles were done either in the farmer's market or one of his friend's houses. And uh, they weren't just done in a church building. And I think this is one of the things that we're finding through this current crisis we're in right now in this uh, stay-in-place order. Uh, Stephen Mansfield and I were talking the other day about the fact that the stay-in-place order is, is antith- antithetical to a man's uh, nature. Right. We're solution-oriented, which is why we don't do well in conversations with our wives. <laughs> <laughs> because we got it solved 10 seconds in. It's not the point of the conversation. Anyway. But, but stay in place uh, is such an issue. And so what's happened in our culture, if you will, in this uh, era that we're in right now, you know, the uh, 25 to 35% spike in domestic violence reports yeah. um, in one locale on the East Coast is 300% more phone calls coming in. Uh, France, 36% spike. They're building 20 uh, pop-up centers for uh, trauma uh, to help uh, women and children. And for me, the stay-in-place orders have become a stay-in-hell order for too many children and women. Oh, yeah. And when you look at it, and you mentioned it right in the front of our conversation, um, the immaturity of, of men in our culture. And I don't believe, Colonel North, you know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, you went to the Naval Academy, you, you went through a Quantico, you did all those things, but what that did it wasn't just about learning techniques. It was actually energizing something that was deep within you that God had placed in there, which is God has placed in every single man is to become the man that God made him to be like Joshua with a man filled with courage. And I think that that's uh, to me, that's where we as fathers in the faith and we as the church need to help men find that place that they were made to fill. I think that's where we're at right now in our culture. And I thank God for you, Colonel North, and the things you're writing, things you've done, um, you know, and all of those making up to where you are today to be able to speak with alacrity and clarity and with a cogent voice of, of uh, truth um, that's unequivocal. In other words, when you say things, uh, what I appreciate about it is we're not looking for a hidden meaning. <laughs> no. no. A, a very quick story. Just before all the shutdown and everything, uh, I was on a flight, I think, to, I might have been coming to Houston. Yeah. I was a flight out of Dallas, and I'm preparing my remarks on my computer, and I've got this book open on my lap. The woman across the aisle from me is watching me, and I'm, I'm typing away, and then I open the book up, and, and she looks over at me, and she says, and I'm in, fr- in first class. I mean, I've got two million miles on this silly airline. Yeah. And so she looks over at me and says, you don't believe that crap, do you? I said, excuse me? And she says, you're, 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 what, are you, what are you writing? I said, well, wow. I'm actually writing my remarks that I'm going to give tonight at a 
pro-life dinner it was. And she said, that's just crap. I said, excuse me, what do you do? She said, I, I teach philosophy at Hobart College. I have yeah. a PhD. I said, do you really? You must be really smart to have a PhD. So maybe you can help me right here. Because I live on a farm. On, a, on, our far, on our farm, there are lots of deer running around. Number two, there's cows. And number three, there's horses. What do they eat? She said, well, grass? I said, exactly. But they consume it differently because when a deer poops, it's little tiny marbles. Yeah. When a horse poops, it's golf balls. And when a cow poops, it's a big splat. How do you Why? Know? Why? She said, well, I don't know. Why? I said, you're telling me I shouldn't believe what I'm reading in this book and you don't know crap? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So I tell my kids the story. And the kid, and we're, you know, when we have everybody, this is again before the, before the virus caught up to everybody. Yeah. And so we got all 18 grandkids. The, the adults are gathered around the kitchen table, right? So there's 10 of us, our four kids, Betsy and me. The 18 grandkids are either asleep, and it's after, you know, maybe it's a birthday party. And we, so we're going around the table, and, gra and dad, granddad gets to play a game. So the game tonight is, what's the most fun you've ever had? And so Martin, our jock son-in-law, is climbing Mount Everest. I'm, I'm making up the place. But he's a jock, and he's a jock doc. And our son says, is when I took the kids down to Disney World. And they go around the table, and it gets back to me and says, Dad, what's the most fun you've ever had? This proves all the filters are gone. Like, what's the most fun I've ever had? Your mother. Hey, oh, my God. Dad, how can you say such a thing? I said, read the last. Here, let me, let me, let me. Where's page 268? Hold on. <laughs> okay. No, no, but, but you know what? That, that's in this book too, by the way. Yeah. Right? Okay, so this is in my acknowledgement, page 269. Most importantly, thank you, Betsy, mother of our four children, grandmother of our 18 grandchildren. For more than a half century, you've been my mate, my muse, my most, fav my most fervent advocate, my greatest inspiration, and my best friend. You are still the most fun I've ever had. <laughs> I love it. But you know. <laughs> but he wants us to love our wives. Abby. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's why he, he created dopamine. Exactly. You know? and, and, then the, and the enemy, uh, you know, filtrates that negatively for guys and messes absolutely. up their lives. And, yep. and, uh, and then he created oxytocin. Uh, it's uh, called the compadre drug, which is I love because it's, it's hanging out with guys like you, which is why I love it. Um, you know, there are two things about that. One, the Bible has given me a greater degree of love for pomegranates. <laughs> so there's that. And then uh, secondly, I always, always uh, when you said my best friend, you know, it's probably true, but when a lot of guys say I married my best friend and, and I'm going, dude, you know, I did not marry my best friend. I married the sexiest girl I ever met. Yeah, because I never thought like this about my best friend. <laughs> well, I'll give you this. I never thought about sleeping with a grandmother before either. Exactly. Hey, Colonel North, thank you for taking the time. Uh, man, it is great to catch up with you again. And, and uh, so admire the things that the Lord has done through your life. And I, and, and I appreciate it. Let me put it this way also. I appreciate the pain, the hits that you've taken, the 37 men are surrounding your house to protect you, um, for your, you and your wife, Betsy, for the times of prayer, for the times of angst, for the times of anxiety, for the times that you've walked through in order to be able to share the gospel and minister in such a way as you are now. And this new channel on YouTube, uh, you can find that at olivernorth.com. And this new channel, I, man, I'm just behind that 100%. Thank you. You know, the Psalms, Psalms says, I will bring the godly of the land to my home. And, um, and what that means is I want my children and I want their children to have heroes and men who have stood and men who have finished strong. And so I, uh, I celebrate that in you. So thank you for that. And it's yeah. great to meet you again. I hope our paths cross again very soon. Well, they will. They, they will. And we, we know where we're going. So we'll see there, each other there. <laughs> and your dad as well. I like, I like, actually, I was thinking about this side. Colonel North. No, 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 I'm ready, well, and able. And I mean that. I admire what you're doing. I, you, not, not only have you carried your dad's legacy, yeah. 
But you think of the numbers of people who we're going to meet when we get yeah. there. Yeah. We're going to say, you know, I was watching you or I heard you or I, yeah. I, and it changed my life because it's not just your words or the, or the imagery or the words that I've written or, or it's how we behaved that That's, inspired people to, that's exactly you know, it. I'd like to do that too. Yeah. See, too I, often, I, I really admire often, what you do. Too often men will tell you and they'll tell me, hey, you know, I can't really be in the ministry. I, I, I run this uh, welding business. You know, and it's like you being embedded uh, 60, over 60 times in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, and it, you're, you're doing a job. And yet, the way you carried yourself, the words you use, the character, the, the honor, the things you carry in you touch people around you. Uh, John, John Eldridge told me the other day, we were talking about how we, we influence people. And he said, you influence at minimum 87,000 other people in your life. He said, even if you don't go outside much. Fascinating. So, so for me, every single place that we're called to serve, we are the light that people see in order to see Jesus. And everything we do is ministry because we are carriers the bible says ambassadors of reconciliation reconciling men to christ well done brother yeah so hey uh we pray every place you put your feet will be holy ground and everything you put your hands to will prosper and that the lord will keep you and your wife your children and your grandchildren deep inside the grip is of his favor in jesus name amen, amen. god bless amen. you brother thank you simplify Paul, after looking at this man's life, I think powerful is an understatement. Yeah, that might be an understatement. He's an amazing man. You know, what I love about it, though, is, is that, you know, the way he presents himself, Chris, and the way he talked about the Word of God, and he held that huge Bible up, and you can see it on the video, which is on our YouTube channel, Christian Men's Network YouTube, and you can see the video he holds, because he talks about it, and we listen to it on the podcast, but you can see he holds a big Bible. It's all marked up and stuff. You know, the thing is, when you see that, Chris, you go, okay, this is attainable. Yeah. In other words, you don't have to be a superhero. He wasn't born with some sort of different set of chromosomes than, than any of us. No. You know, what he did, though, is he applied himself. Exactly. And the, you saying that specific word makes me think of John 1, 1. Mm. In the beginning was the word, the word was God, and the word... In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with our... Yes, you got it. No, it's the Bible. You're yeah. good. And the Word was with us. Yeah, you're I messed up. Okay. No, well, but don't anyways. get afraid. There's five million people who listen to exactly. you Exactly. But it's okay. Because it's at the close <laughs> of the program. Yes, but at the same time, I was always raised to, if you're going to quote it, quote it right. Yeah, quote, quote it right, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know what I'm referencing, yeah, John word, 1. Yes, and right. The, the fact that always stood out to me is John 1, 14. Mm. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's not, it's the reality of us taking, like you were saying, Oliver North holding the Bible. Yeah. But he took that word and allowed it to become who he is. Yeah. Every thought it became that he, his, identity. his actions, yeah. Colossians, his, his words, Ephesians. every reality of yeah. what he was encountering in that word became what he determined mm. to live his lifestyle like. And that's what we need. We need men that will apply the words and say, you know what? This might not be my opinion, but God's opinion raised higher reigns higher than my yeah, opinion no kidding man first corinthians 16 13 says uh be focused as a man be committed be determined and be relentless focus committed determined relentless and that's what we have to be and that's who uh he is and uh man this stirs me up yeah guys like that i'm like okay you know i just did uh, a couple times this year i've read through the whole new testament in 30 days you know did a challenge with uh you version yeah. which, which we uh, support and um you know, just doing that, you're just like, okay, I'm going to have to apply myself. Exactly. And I think we need to do that, Chris. I think we need to put obstacles up. Dan Crenshaw in his great book, Fortitude, said, we live in a world of comfort, and most people don't have resilience because they've never had to have it. Yeah, exactly. You and, know, but, everything's there. You go to the store, everything's there. You don't have to go kill anything. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, even like you, one of the first things you told me when I started working with you was the reality of, Chris, how much are you willing to sacrifice mm. for your dream to come true? Yeah. You know, and it's like, that's the reality. It's like, are you disciplined enough 
to do whatever it takes to make the reality of what's truly in you mm -hmm. to come to fruition. Yeah. You see what I mean? And oftentimes, especially people my age, 26 yeah. years old or younger, are not willing to give that blood, sweat, and tears yeah. to see their dream. Because that's, that's, what's, that's what's going to have to, that's, that's what has to happen. Exactly. You have to actually work at it. Dude, this, you know, life does not give you participation no. trophies. <laughs> it doesn't. And that's why our world shouldn't either, but that's a whole the other only story. participation <laughs> trophy you're going to get is a headstone, man. Exactly. With everybody else. Yep, exactly. he was alive. Exactly. But the fact is, what you do in life becomes history. What you put into motion becomes your legacy. Exactly. So and, good. And that's what you and I want to do is leave footprints. Exactly. And that's what Brave Men is about. Yes. And uh, I want to thank you, Chris, for being for producing this and putting together uh, some of the great interviews that we've had. We've got some incredible ones coming up. Uh, and what is it that we need everybody to do? We need them to go on and subscribe. So we need them to subscribe. Right. And if you see it on Facebook, like it and share. But like we it also and share. need okay. you to write a review. Tell us about how this has impacted your life. And you're not going to just, you know, sit there and not get a response. If yeah, you yeah. write to us, we will intentionally right. go out and respond to you. And okay. You know, we need you to so write, write a review, review share yeah. it, and uh, and then click like. subscribe. Yes, yeah, subscribe. Because the more like, subscribers yeah. we have, then what happens is Apple and iHeart and all these people they put us in a different tier. Exactly. Of, you know, and we're cracking the top 100. Yeah. And the more people that you know, subscribe, so, the more people will hear about, you know, what God is doing through these mighty yeah, men no of God. Yeah, no kidding. And through Christian Men's Network. Yeah. So cmn.men is the website, cmn.men. That's Christian Men's Network. Don't go to CNN. No, we want the good news. Yeah, we want the good Not news. Not the bad news. CMN.men. <laughs> and uh, get resources for mentoring men, resources and tools for becoming better men, for fatherhood. Global Fatherhood Initiative is kicking off. Yes. All kinds of stuff going on, and it all comes together at cmn.men. You can find all the resources. Achieve Lab, over 500 hours of curated videos. Yes. Right? Yes. All kinds of stuff. Incredible things. Hey, and thank you. For, yeah, CMN what? Radio, too. Don't forget oh, CMN about Radio, too, yeah. So that's Powerful. on Alexa. If yeah. Alexa I was telling somebody about it the other day. I was on the phone. I go, yeah, it's on Alexa. And the Alexa machine in my... It's always <laughs> listening to me. goes, yes, hello. <laughs> No, no, no. Not Home, now. Yeah, Homeland Security <laughs> is in there listening to me. All right, man. Hey, thank you for being with us today on Brave Man. It really is a blessing that you would take time uh, to be with us. And I'm so thankful to Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North and his family, Betsy. And we pray blessings on them as we did uh, during the interview. But uh, we thank God for them and men like that and men like you who are willing to listen, do something about it, stand up, be counted for righteousness, and win the battle. Thank you for being a part of Brave Men. Remember, hope is alive. Hope has a name. Hope's name is Jesus. You've just experienced Brave Men with Paul Lewis Cole. Paul is president of the Christian Men's Network. Connect with Paul at cmn.men or write to him at paul at cmn.men.